Good morning, everybody. Like Tarn said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. It's so good to have you here with us in the house. We know you've passed dozens of churches on your way here, and so the fact that you're here with us today is really special to us. So welcome, uh, first, second, 15-time visitors. You know, it's, it's good to have you in the house. Also, special welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and connect with us here on Sunday morning. Well, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to uh, highlight that we, um, we, we made a new hire this week. We've been searching for uh, an administrative assistant for the last, I don't know, four months or so. And so uh, this week we hired Bobby Rao over there. Bobby, can you wave at us? Uh, Bobby started yesterday, and he's a welcome uh, addition uh, to our team. I've worked closely with Robbie over this last month doing these stage projects where we've been leaving this building at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So we, we bonded quite a bit, which is good because I wanted to see if I could work really closely with this guy. So I think he'll be all right. And so welcome, Bobby, uh, if you see him uh, in the hallway. I also want to mention, if you live in this community or if you've been aware of what's going on in the news and social media, you know that there was an incident probably a little over a week ago uh, with some HF high school students who uh, dressed uh, up in blackface and went cruising around uh, the neighborhood, went through a McDonald's drive through and insulted a young African-American woman. This blew up over the weekend, and by Tuesday, all the uh, local media were in town covering this incident, and on Tuesday, I believe, the students staged a peaceful walkout. And so these moments like this are really important, especially in a multi-ethnic community that we live in, where we're celebrating all this racial harmony until something like that happens, right? And so uh, in one sense, I'm sort of salty that it blew up and it sort of creates a stain on our city. But on the other hand, the reconciler in me thinks that these are important learning teachable moments, right? And so I urge you to have conversations with your children when these events come up in the news, even your small children, help them understand what is going on, help them under, understand the history behind things like blackface, why that might be hurtful, why people might be outraged. And I think it's also a, a really great opportunity to not just appreciate, but to utilize the beauty of diversity that God has given us here. This wonderfully uh, diverse church, in my opinion, is an institute of higher learning of, of sorts, right? Where we get to learn the fine art of, of loving people that you don't choose, right? You, you, can't you can't determine who's going to come through that door. Anybody can come through that door, right? And so part of what we're doing here in a community of faith that is diverse is schooling you and learning to love people who are different from you. And so it's one thing to just come here and to worship here and to go home. It's another thing to use these relationships to educate ourselves and to be enlightened. And so I, I long for this church to be a place, a safe place for what I call the humbly ignorant. In other words, if you're in company with different types of people, hopefully this is a safe place for you to go, you know, I really don't understand what the big hoorah is about this blackface stuff. Could you help me understand why this is such a big deal? Could you help me understand why everybody's up in arms in this? And if somebody should ask you a question like that, if somebody should be vulnerable and show their ignorance in a humble way, my hope is that we would be willing to have conversations 
and to engage in dialogues in a, in a rich and helpful way because that is what this community is all about. And so I want to challenge you to embrace the humbly ignorant, to be willing and open to share information and to enlighten others. Uh, I want to encourage you also to talk to your children about these things. But I just want to uh, uh, lead us in a moment of prayer because I don't think we've seen the last of incidents like this. I certainly feel like we haven't seen the last uh, of you know, this particular incident. And I just want to pray peace uh, and justice would reign particularly with our kids in, in this in community, particularly also among the parents who seem to be losing their minds. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautifully diverse city or collection of cities that you have sent us here uh, to plant this church. Father, I know that diversity is your idea. It is a kingdom ideal. And I pray that what the enemy intended for harm, Father, you would use this to teach us. You would use this to humble us. Uh, you would use this to enlighten those who need to be enlightened. Father, would you continue to grow us in beautiful diversity here? May this be a learning institution. May you use this church and our people to shine light in the darkness. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Well, let me uh, get into the message uh, this morning. I'm continuing a sermon series that I started about three weeks ago, a sermon series that I'm simply calling Jesus People. Jesus people. And this sermon series uh, has on it uh, a title that I think aptly describes uh, who we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. Now, some of you, I realize in a crowd this size, some of you are not following Jesus. You're, you wouldn't consider yourself to be uh, a person of faith. Maybe you consider yourself to be a spiritual person. Maybe you're kicking the tires of faith, peeking in the window of faith, so to speak. But you wouldn't necessarily identify as a Christian, and that's fine. You are welcome here. You can kick all the tires, peek in all the windows, okay? Uh, but this whole notion of being Jesus' people is an identifying marker that uh, helps you understand who we are aspiring to be. We're aspiring to be people who are deeply influenced by the person, the work, the message, and the life of Jesus, so much so that our lives are conforming to his example. Our lives are conforming to his standard. And so this whole idea of Jesus, people, as we've sort of broke it out over the last few weeks, put Jesus, the uh, sinless Savior, righteous, perfect in all of his ways, all of his ways are good, just, and true, uh, and that pairs us with people, right? Pairs that with people. Broken, sinful, selfish humanity. Jesus is here. We're down here. And as we seek to connect with him, Jesus calls us higher, right? He, he causes us to ascend to righteousness, ascend to love, ascend to holiness and godliness. We don't bring Jesus down to us. He calls us high to where he is. And I began this series a few weeks ago by talking about our humanity, right? You can't talk about being Jesus' people or people in the book without talking about our broken, sinful, selfish humanity that Jesus wants to restore to make more like his character and his nature. Uh, and in dealing with our humanity, we're identifying the things that threaten to disqualify us from the life that Jesus has called us to. I say that again. In dealing with our humanity, we are identifying and examining the things about us, the broken, sinful things about us that threaten to disqualify us 
from living the good life. And when I talk about the good life, I'm not talking about cars. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, fame and fortune or loads of followers on social media. When I talk about the good life, I simply mean the life that God intended for you to, le- to live. What God had in mind for you when he created you, when you find yourself in the sweet spot of that, that to us is the good life. And so our humanity threatens to rob us of the opportunity, and Jesus uh, uh, has no problem putting his finger on that. On Easter Sunday, we talked about doubt and how doubt is not a disqualifier. There is room for doubt and faith, and Jesus humbly meets us right in the middle of that doubt. And last week, we're blessed by my dear friend and brother, uh, Pastor Thaddeus Searcy, who is so kind to plug into our series. And he talked about last week, he talked about disappointment, uh, how we're supposed to respond and how we often respond when things don't go as we hoped. We tend to forget who Jesus is, but Jesus is faithful, as he pointed out, to come walking alongside us to faithfully remind us who he is. And today I want to continue this series by talking about another really important thing, another particular aspect of our humanity that would threaten to disqualify us from the things of God, the good life as it were, and that is simply distractions. You ever been distracted? Some of you distracted right now. You're on your phone, you're checking your Facebook, right? Uh, But it's hard to do two really serious, important things at once, right? It's hard to give your undivided attention to multiple things at once, particularly things that are important, particularly things that are nuanced, particularly things that are worthwhile. It's just hard to focus on two things. And so if you have something or someone that you're supposed to be focusing on and giving your attention to and some other thing in your peripheral vision or some other thing off in the distance or something that's shining and glistening in the distance calling out to you, that thing, that other thing would be a distraction. And so as people of faith, when we talk about distractions, we're, we're to understand that our main focus, our central focus should be Jesus and his plan and his purpose for our lives. But there are many, many distractions. Distractions that keep us from giving our full, undivided attention to Jesus. And if we don't get a handle on our distractions, friends, if we don't acknowledge them as distractions and let Jesus lovingly but firmly come to us and put his finger on those lesser things that are competing with him for our attention and affection, if we don't deal with our distractions, then we will never live the good life. We will never live this life as Jesus' people the way that Jesus intended us to. And many of us here today, if not all of us, are facing one or more distractions. If I pass the microphone around, it wouldn't take long for you, if you were honest, to pinpoint the thing or the things uh, that have grown too large in your life. The shiny thing off in the distance that often steals your gaze from the things of God. And so as we focus on distractions this morning, my, my sermon title, if you need a sermon title, is Keep Your Eyes on Jesus. If you forget everything I say today, you say, what was that preacher talking about? What was he urging me to do? What was he challenging me to do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for more than two weeks, you know that this is easier to say than it is to do. 
It's easier to talk about than it is to live out. This is hard to do, but I think Jesus has something for us this morning. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John 21. If you would meet me there this morning in your Bibles, if you're old school, you got a paper Bible, turn there with me in, in the Bible, John chapter 21. There are on some of the edges of the rows uh, a paper Bible you can use if you'd like to follow along. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible at home that you can understand, uh, feel free to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. John 21, we're going to start at verse 1. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens. Feel free also to, to follow along in your tablets or your phones. John chapter 1, would you meet me there? While you find it, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We admit today, Lord, that we are often distracted. Many of us would say today that we are distracted by some worry, some care, some thing that we desire that just lays just outside of our reach. Father, we struggle with worshiping the created rather than the creator. The charge today, Lord, is that we would fix our eyes on you, and we confess, Lord, that we need help. Would you teach us? Would you show us? Would you instruct us through your word? Um, lead us, Father, to a place that you would lead us to today. Father, may we be honest with you and ourselves today. May we put our legs under the table and eat whatever you serve today. Father, we're here to receive Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you to put power in these words you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way so your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. John chapter 21. I'll read at verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that would be the disciple John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, where he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. 
Uh, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. I'll read the last two verses again. Peter asked, what about him, Lord? What about John, the disciple you love? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Now, I love this text. It is what I would consider a preacher's delight because there's so much stuff in here to work out. In fact, I have to fight distraction just trying to stay on point here because there's so much stuff in this text. I think this is also the kind of text that if we're honest and if we have our thinking caps on this morning that many of us, if not all of us, can relate to. This is another post-resurrection account of Jesus coming and encountering his disciples. And if you've been tracking with this series, you know that this series has almost, uh, not almost, it has exclusively dealt with Jesus' interactions with his disciples because when we read these texts and we look, about, look at these disciples, we're actually looking to mirrors, right? These aren't ancient issues. Uh, distraction, you know, be, uh, worrying with doubt, right? Um, be, you know, w trying to stay committed. These are ancient issues. These are current issues. So, so when we look at the life of these disciples, when we look at the lessons that Jesus taught them, we're essentially looking at ourselves in the mirror. Jesus is talking to us. He's instructing us if we let it. And after the resurrection, Jesus appears uh, to his disciples. And in this particular story, uh, Peter is at the center of this story. He's one of the main characters. There are other disciples mentioned in this story, but this particular story is about Peter. Peter, he's gifted. He's excitable. He's zealous. Some might even say he's anointed to do the work of the ministry, but he's got some issues. He's got issues. Anybody got issues? Am I the only one with issues? I know more people than me have issues, right? If you have issues, then you're in good company because Peter had issues. He had these things sort of working against him that would complicate his forward motion toward the things of God, that might complicate his forward motion toward being a Jesus person. And here we see Peter uh, again standing before Jesus about to be schooled. And I love how Jesus deals with Peter. And I think this text gives us some insight as to how Jesus deals with us, particularly when we are distracted. And when I look at this text, and when I look at my life and the lives of others, I think there are three major distractions that we must overcome in order to be Jesus' people. There are three major areas of life. There are certainly more, uh, but I see three particular distractions in this text 
that I think Jesus wants to put his finger on for us this morning. And I'm certain that one, if not all of these, might ring true or hit home for us today. The first distraction I see is the distraction of busyness. Somebody say busyness. The distraction of business. Some of us think that all activity is good. Some of us have been wired. I just got to do something. I just got to be doing something. I got to be doing something. Some of us have trouble with rest. Some of us have trouble hearing from God. Some of us have trouble being patient because we are just hustlers, right? We are people who like to work. We like to be doing stuff. We like to be active. And somehow, some way, we've confused activity with faithfulness. We've confused being busy with being productive, right? And some of us are spending our wills doing stuff, and it's not particularly what God has called us to do. Some of us are spending our wills doing stuff, and it's, not, it's simply not God's best for you in this particular moment. And you're not bearing fruit. There's no joy in your salvation. You're just sweating and burning calories, emotional, spiritual, relational, because you're just busy and I think Jesus wants to speak to busyness because busyness is distraction, particularly if you're doing something other than what God has called you to do. The story opens with Simon Peter and a bunch of other disciples just sort of hanging out, and Peter yells, hey, let's go fishing. Uh, let's go fishing. Now you have to understand that many of the disciples that Jesus called were fishermen by trade, right? And some of them were actually fishing when Jesus called to them, if you recall, in Luke 5. But John doesn't tell us why Peter wants to go fishing. We'll just have to sort of speculate why that was the case. But Bible students and scholars for years have debated whether or not it was okay for Peter to go fishing, right? Some students and scholars would say, hey, they're fishermen by trade. He's got to pay his bills. He's got stuff to do. He probably wants some folding, walking around money. Why not go fishing, right? Other scholars suggest, by pointing to Luke 5, that Jesus had called him from that life. He said, I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. And at that point, some scholars believe that Peter was called from that life, and so therefore, in this particular moment, he was basically being disobedient and basically exercising faithlessness because he had gone back to something that Jesus had called him away from. Either way, Jesus uses this particular moment, this familiar moment, to get Peter back on track. Peter is busy, but we can gather from this story that Peter isn't quite doing what he's supposed to be doing, and Jesus engages him. John tells us that Jesus comes to the shoreline and calls out to, G, uh, to Peter and his fellow fish, fishermen and asks, hey, have you caught anything? Are the fish biting today? They have to understand something. Jesus, like a good lawyer, doesn't ask any questions that he doesn't already know the answer to, right? So he's almost kind of in interrogating Peter and these guys. He knows the answer. He knows that they're not catching anything. And he says the same thing he says back in Luke 5. He said, hey, why don't you drop it on the other side and catch some fish? 
They obey, and just like Luke 5, they draw in this huge hall. Immediately, John says, this, this is familiar. This has happened before. This is deja vu. And, Peter, and, and John goes, hey, it's Jesus, right? And so once they figure out that it's Jesus, Peter gets dressed and races to shore. And so he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus finds Peter fishing for fish. Jesus had commissioned Peter and his fellows to fish for men. Now, I think this is important because Jesus might find some of us hanging out in places that he's called us from, doing things that he's called us away from. Now, don't get this picture in your mind that you're always doing something sinful and dastardly and something shameful, and Jesus has to rescue you from that. Oftentimes, Jesus comes knocking, and we're doing noble things. We're doing productive things. We're doing respectable things. But Jesus might say in a gentle yet firm way, that's not what I told you to do. Jesus might say, I called you away from that relationship. I know he's a nice guy. We'll make a fine husband for somebody else, but I called you away from that joker. I called you away from that young lady. I know she's beautiful. I know she's got gold. I know she's inspiring, but that's not my best for you right now. I know you went to school for eight years for that, but I got something different for you. That's not my best for you right now. And the list can go on and on and on and on. This is helpful. This is necessary because some of us have equated busyness, activity, and as long as I'm not doing something bad, like this is like God will bless this. But this story demonstrates that Jesus comes again and says, Peter, that's not what I've called you to do. You're busy. You're making a living. You're fishing, but for the wrong things. You're fishing for fish, Peter, that's great. But I've called you to fish for men. And so if Jesus were to find you, would he find you doing uh, just some busy work, doing what you're into, doing what you like? Or would he find you doing what he's called you to do? Some of us are so busy climbing a ladder that we haven't bothered to realize that it's up against the wrong wall or up against the wrong building. And some of you wonder why you don't have any joy in your salvation, although your output is high. Some of you wonder why your life isn't bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you wonder why you can't, you know, get ahead with the thing or the career or the particular path you're on right now. It just could be, maybe it's Maybe not, but it just could be that you have given your life to something that Jesus hasn't called you to. It could be that you are distracted by busyness, by your preferences, by the activities you love, rather than what Jesus has called you to. And you need to hear from the preacher today that busyness does not equal faithfulness. Busyness does not equal fruitfulness. Busyness does not equal obedience. And so perhaps the charge to you is to deal with the distraction of activity 
and busyness in your life because as I see it, Jesus engages Peter in that regard. The second distraction that I think is super important that is one we can all relate to in some way is the distraction of failure. The distraction of failure. There are few things that can steal your focus, rob your joy, get you off of your square like a good fall-on-your-face moment. Can I get a witness? Anybody ever failed at anything, anything at all in life? Anybody ever experienced a major failure in your life? Anybody ever experienced an epic failure in your life? I'm talking about the type of failure where you essentially, you know, take the pen out of the proverbial grenade and drop it right by your feet blowing up your life, and if it's super epic in, in your family, your friends, your career, your reputation is caught up in the blast radius, and some of you had just made royal messes of your life. Is, can anybody relate to just falling and failing hard? I think that Peter can relate to this. Peter can relate to this. We talked about Peter's story a couple of weeks ago. He's experienced an epic failure in his betrayal of Jesus, his denial of Jesus. It was public. And if that wasn't enough, it is forever contained and captured in the canon of Scripture. We can read about Peter's failure. We can hear sermons about his failure. In any Christian church around the world, this is like it's on the Internet. It's not going away ever, right? And so if you recall, Jesus said to Peter, listen, you guys are going to deny me. You guys are going to walk away from me. And Peter said in front of everybody, Lord, you are wrong. Check yourself. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I will never deny you. I will never walk away from you. I will never be ashamed of you, Jesus. You, you got me messed up. And not too long from that moment, Peter denies that he even knows. And so you can imagine that Peter is broken up about this. This is very public. This does not go away from him, even as he's engaging the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus knows that failure can do this to us. There's something about failure that is particularly sticky, that just sort of hangs around and messes with us in a way that is really troublesome. Because we don't like to let other people down. We don't like to disappoint other people. But we really, we really don't like to let ourselves down. And some of us have just really, really let ourselves down. And if you're a person of faith or if you're pressing into a place of faith, you really don't want to let Jesus down. You really don't want to disappoint the Lord. And here, Peter, he's done both of these things. In a very public and a very pronounced way, he's let himself down because Peter didn't know that betrayal was in him. And Jesus says, so, you guys are going to deny me. You guys are, Peter said, that's not in me, Lord. I'm not that guy. And in that moment, he found that it was in him. And so he let himself down, and he let Jesus down, and he's having a hard time recovering from this. But how many of you know that Jesus can redeem our failures if we let him? 
How many of you know that though failure seems final, when Jesus is in the mix, it simply is not? And some of us get confused and we get a little sideways with Jesus when we read this portion of this text that uh, has Jesus uh, having Peter repeat himself three times. He comes to Simon Peter and says, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, of course I do. Jesus said, do you love, you really love me, bro? Peter says, yes. Jesus asked a third time, and by this time, Peter is really upset. He's like, Lord, you know I love you. Why are we doing this game? This is kind of silly. You're doing that weird Jesus thing you do. And Jesus, in that moment, maybe it clicks for Peter that he had denied Jesus three separate times. Three times. And Jesus, like only Jesus can do, even though Peter may or may not have been aware, give him an opportunity to be totally reinstated. To have each one of these affirmations offset the denials, Jesus is just thorough in that way. Jesus is just comprehensive in the ways that he comes in and brings healing and restoration, particularly to our moments of failure, because he knows human nature. It's hard to move past it. We know that we're forgiven, but it's hard to feel forgiven. It's hard to walk that out. And what Jesus knows is that with the distraction of failure, it's hard to keep our eyes on Jesus. Some of you know this is the truth. When you're mixed up in stuff you don't want to be, you shouldn't be mixed up in, you you don't even even want to come to church, right? There's a weight. There's something that maybe you think, maybe everybody knows what I was into last night. I won't go. We have this tendency to hide. We have this tendency to let our failures get the best of us, which is why Jesus presses in so hard with restoration and with redemption because he needs us to be on our square. He needs us to be looking into his eyes and not looking back at how we failed. He needs us to not just know that we're forgiven, but to walk in that forgiveness. And Jesus goes to great lengths to deal with, directly with Peter's failure because he knows that Peter, he's got something for him to do. Like Peter was a pretty big deal, right? We're the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples. Look at Peter's work and what he went on to do for Jesus after this moment. This is like a pivotal moment for him. Like he has some things he needed to get past, right? And some of you have failed sexually and and, in the area of purity. Some of you have failed financially. Some of you just keep stumbling into the same besetting sins over and over. There's habits and hang-ups and crushing things that you just can't seem to forgive yourself for. And if you really examine your life, you might discover that that, that failure has kept you in the same place. That there hasn't been much forward motion much joy and excitement surrounding the things of God. You can look back to a time in your life where you were right in the center of what God was doing, excited about the things of God, on mission, encouraging other people, praying for people, leading small groups, and you can, that something happened, right? Something that is totally coverable by Jesus' blood. That's what he died for. And the moment that you ask for forgiveness, the moment that you turn from that thing, it was covered. But the enemy, like, keeps bringing that back to you because he knows if he can get you focused on that, thinking about your past, thinking about how you've fallen short, then he can keep you 
stuck. It can keep you thinking about how you failed as a parent, or how you failed as a spouse, or how you failed as a friend, or has failed as a person of faith. It is hard, dare I say, impossible to move forward, which is why we must, hear me friends, we must allow Jesus to deal with the distraction of our failure. Who among us today are nursing failures, towing behind us in a wagon the things that the Lord has thrown into the sea of forgetfulness? Who needs to hear this this morning? So we've talked about the distraction of busyness. We've talked about the distraction of failure. The third and final distraction I see in this text is the distraction of comparison. And if you're human and not a robot, and perhaps even robots might deal with comparing themselves to other robots, newer models, uh, if you're a human, you might have allowed this or you might be allowing this to eat your lunch right now. Doesn't take much to figure out that we live in a world uh, that is wrought with comparison. Can't even check out of the grocery store without passing an alley of magazines that remind you that you don't have it. You say, Pastor, what is it? Don't worry about it. You don't have it. <laughs> that remind you that you might not be fit enough or pretty enough. Perfect airbrushed people in their perfect airbrushed homes, living their perfect airbrushed lives. And don't dare, don't dare log on to social media. Don't spend three minutes on the gram or on Facebook because you're watching everybody's highlight reel. But when you're in your feelings, you just feel like that's real life for them. How many pictures did they take to get that one that they posted? Right? I don't post my lowlights. I post the highlights. I, you know, I didn't feel like social media was like the, my diary, right? I'm like, hey, this is, the, this is the best me right here. I'm not even putting on airs. I'm just, that's, the, that's what most of us use the medium for. We want to catch that angle. We want to get rid of that double chin. We want to use the filters if we can, right? It's the highlights. But we've been wired, hardwired to view everyone as competition. We've been hardwired to see everyone as a potential rival. And this puts us in a position to just be, we're always rubbernecking. We're always looking over the fence. We're always trying to see how we measure up to this one or that one. And in the realm of life, it kills momentum. It kills forward progress. In the realm of faith, it is like, like putting on the brakes of movement, forward motion toward Jesus and the things of Jesus. This, is just, this just has to be called out. And while we might all struggle with this in some realms, some of us might point to this as being the most uh, pronounced distraction in your life, particularly right now, because you are at a moment in your life where you feel particularly unimpressive. Particularly unimpressive, perhaps with regard to beauty, particularly unimpressive with, with regard to maybe how you're parenting or how you're husbanding or how you're wiving. 
I didn't think that through. You know, you, you probably, you know, whatever realm you're in, you, you, pro- you might be find yourself in a particular season of unimpressiveness. And the enemy, of course, is licking his chops because it doesn't take much. Like our lives, are, the things are already installed in our world to keep us comparing ourselves to one another. To take it further, since we're so broken in that area, we don't think twice about saying hurtful, comparative things to other people. We do the devil's work in baking this consciousness into our own children by comparing them to other siblings and comparing them to other children and just creating all this, you know, we, we just, we just, we're programming them in the same broken ways that we've been programmed. And something has to come and stop this runaway train of comparison. And that person, if you let him, is Jesus. Jesus encounters Peter, found him doing something that perhaps he wasn't supposed to be doing, sets him back on track to, 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 to follow Jesus and to be a fisher of men, uh, deals with his other distractions. But right now... Uh, Jesus wants to talk to Peter and center his gaze on his specific mission. Jesus says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 says, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And so in case you're confused like I was before I really got into this uh, passage, basically Jesus is telling Peter, you are going to die a death by crucifixion. When you were young, you had freedom, but now that you're engaging in this kingdom life, the life that I've called you to, Peter, people are going to come to faith. The church is going to be established. You know, millions of people throughout the world will come to faith because of your work. But Peter, let me just also tell you, son, that, that it's not going to be nice. The world's not going to be kind to you. Uh, the folks, uh, there's going to be some real opposition. And Peter, you are going to pay a price for following me. And that price is stretching out your hands. You're going to die a horrible death. This is what, this is what Jesus is telling Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus just dropped that on me, I'd have a few follow-up questions. I want to know how many years do I got? Are we talking about five years, 15 years? Jesus, you're being really cryptic about this. Can you say it in plain English so that another human could understand? I would be asking about what Jesus talked to me about, right? But when you're in your feelings and when comparison has taken hold, you're preoccupied with all the wrong things. You are, in a word, distracted. And so does Peter ask follow-up questions about the mission and the details about his life that Jesus just laid on him? Does he ask details about it? No. Instead, Peter's response is this. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. Now, this is a reference to the Apostle John, which is kind of strange because John is writing this letter. And so John is sort of referring to himself in this letter as the disciple that Jesus loves, which I think is kind of strange. That's distraction. But, you know, Peter knew, I got this sense that John was maybe Jesus's favorite. At least that was maybe the perception. At least John would have us to believe that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And so Peter, rather than being interested in what the master might have to say about his future, he turns around 
and said, what about him, Lord? What about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Now, whenever I teach this text, I have to paraphrase that statement, uh, what is that to you? That's a real nice way of saying, mind your own business. If you had a mom like mine from the South, I mean, we heard this every other sentence because we were always inquiring about somebody else's business. And my mom would say all the time, boy, mind your own business. Or stay out of grown folks' business. Or I ain't got nothing to do with you. Sound familiar? And I think Jesus, not because he's annoyed with us, not because he's stressed out heavenly father and doesn't want to deal with our questions, What he knows is that comparison is usually a course-altering deviation, an unhealthy, cancerous preoccupation with someone else, and we can't possibly be in the thick of what we're called to if we have a preoccupation with somebody else's plan, somebody else's purpose, the schematic that God has drew up for somebody else's life. Listen, our lives are complex. They require our undivided attention. And so Jesus is constantly, constantly, hey, 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 back here, back here. When you want to go over to the fence and say, well, they got a new car. Oh, look at that grass. It's so green over there. Come back here. What is that to you? I can see if you were just killing it and living your life, right? I, I, I can see if you were just on everything and just, just moving through life and just killing it, then maybe you would have a little time to look over the fence and compare yourself. But many of us, we are not. Things that are left undone, or some were fishing, for fish, when God has called us to fish for people. I'm going to tell you, I'm just at a place in my life where I'm just so busy. Like, I just, I would be nosy about somebody else's life. I just, I can't schedule it. I would get in your business, but I, I just can't pencil it in. I haven't always been that way, but I just, I want to be so preoccupied with the thing that the Lord has set in front of me that I just, I just don't have time. I just don't have the energy to look over your fence. Listen, I told the Lord, Lord, if you give me this, you give me a wife, I'll take care of her. You give me some kids, I'm going to take care of her. You give me a church, I'll steward. You give me a building, I'm going to do something with it, and we're doing something with it. I'm just at a place, and maybe tomorrow will be different. Maybe next week will be different. I'm just at a place in my life where I just can't schedule being preoccupied with somebody else, some other preacher, some other church. Yeah, I'll look into what you're doing so I can celebrate with you, so I can support what you're doing, but I just don't have the time to wonder why God has done that for you and hasn't done it for me. Because I've lived and walked with Jesus long enough to know that I don't want what you got because I don't want to pay what you paid to get it. You don't want what I have. Because you haven't been graced to walk in this. I haven't been graced to carry what you've been graced to carry. I don't want what you have. You keep it. 
Because the God who saw my unformed body in my mother's womb, who fearfully and wonderfully made me, etched out a purpose and a plan for my life, and the ensuing steps to walk that out and to work that out, my steps are ordered. I don't have time to come to the fence and watch you. I simply don't. So don't come telling me about somebody else's business. Don't come introducing that into my, I got too much work to do. And guess what? So do you. What is that to you? Jesus says, you follow me. And so in what ways today, friends, might you be looking over the fence, longing and lusting after somebody else's green grass, rather than watering the grass beneath your own feet? In what realm? Is it parenting? Or is it beauty? Is it success? Is it education? Is it your spiritual life where you're comparing yourself to someone else? Jesus lovingly yet firmly says, what is that to you? You follow me. Because distraction, well, uh, comparison is a distraction that will eat your lunch. And some of you say, preacher, that's me. That's me. I'm hours, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on social media, hours just with my face all twisted up. And if you're really thick in this, it, it, it impacts the way you treat that person because, like, you perceive them as a rival. Jesus says, listen, he comes to bring freedom from that today so that you can press into being who he called you to be. And worship team can come as I, as I land this thing. Are any of these distractions resident in your life? Can you assess that any of these distractions have kept you from being a Jesus person, kept you from ascending to the place that he's calling you to? You say, I'm stuck today, Pastor, and it's because of uh, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just doing stuff. Maybe not the stuff that God has called me to do. Maybe I've let my failures get the best of me, and I haven't let the blood of Jesus quite cover those all the way. Maybe you are wrestling with the distraction of uh, a comparison. Or maybe you're dealing with something that I, I, I haven't named today, but the Spirit of the Lord is here today to bring freedom. You don't have to walk out of here the same way that you've come in. My charge to you, especially as we worship today, is that you would submit all of these distractions, lay them at the feet of Jesus. He's glad to take them and to help you usher yourself into a place where you're living the good life. You're becoming a Jesus person. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the mirror of Scripture. And Father, uh, I know that in a room this size, some of us have just been hit by this word today. Whether it be busyness, whether it be our failures, whether it be comparison, Father, we just, we give it to you. And some of us have walked well-worn paths, and we need your help to free us. Some of us, these things have been baked into our identity, and we need you to surgically remove these things uh, that distract us, that compete with you for our attention and our affection. Holy Spirit, would you do your work? Would you do the heavy lifting this morning so that we might be a people on mission, people on purpose, help us to be Jesus people. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. amen.